One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Coronapod. In this show, we're going to bring you nature's take on the latest COVID-19 developments. And we'll be speaking to experts around the world about research during the pandemic. We're entering a new era now. We have new COVID strategies. There's some new unknowns and we've got a vaccine. Hello and welcome to Coronapod. I'm Noah Baker and joining me this week for the second time in a row is America's Bureau Chief Lauren Wolf. Lauren, how are you? Good. Thanks for having me again. I feel like I'm becoming a regular, so it's exciting. <laughs> <laughs> well, indeed, if you keep publishing brilliant stories, we are going to keep coming back to you. <laughs> so this week, we're going to be talking about vaccination and specifically vaccinating kids. We've got a story written by freelancer Cassandra Williard that you have edited. And the story is pegged around an FDA decision to grant emergency use authorization for two vaccines, Moderna and Pfizer, for use in kids under the age of five and over the age of six months. Tell us, what is it about this story that's really captured so much attention? I think what's captured the attention is just that parents have been waiting for this and waiting and waiting and waiting. A a small percentage of them are, as we'll get to eventually, not not all parents. I think some parents are still hesitant about getting their kids vaccinated. But for the people who have and have been in social isolation and have been keeping their kids away from potential situations where they could get infected, they've been waiting for a long time. This is the last group of people in the U.S. at least that have not had the opportunity to be vaccinated except for kids under six months old. They still are not specced for this vaccine, but we don't generally vaccinate kids that are that young. And we should point out here that this is not the first decision by a medical authority to grant emergency use authorization for vaccines of kids around this age, but it is significant in part because the FDA has historically played quite an important role in global policy circles when it comes to decisions like this. For sure. People here in the US have been waiting for this decision, but there are some countries out there in the world that have already been vaccinating young kids. Some of them are Cuba, Argentina, China, Venezuela. And so that has been going on since last year. The FDA tends to take a lot of time looking at safety data and companies here were still trying to complete the trials. So that's why it's taken a bit longer. But generally, yeah, countries do generally look to the FDA, see what they're doing. And we saw that with some of the other shots that kind of waited for for the U.S. to to give its emergency authorization, and then you saw it approved in a number of other places. And I asked the writer of the story to see with sources if they thought that was going to happen for this age group as well. And there was more hesitancy about it, whether what the U.S. does in this situation would cause countries to sort of open up vaccines to really young children. And there was less less, um, 
sureness about that, which I think is interesting. So it'll be fascinating to see what happens after this. For sure. That usual playbook of FDA, CDC first, the rest of the world followed, hasn't necessarily been followed in the same way during this pandemic. So it's interesting to see what happens now. Anyway, back to this story in particular, this FDA decision was based on two studies that were done by Moderna and Pfizer, both mRNA vaccines. And that was looking at very young kids between six months and four years old or six months and five years old, depending on which trial you're looking at. We'll get on to what's going to happen next in a minute. But first, what did the FDA find out from these studies? You know, up until this point, right, the FDA had approved or well, let's let's be clear, they had emergency authorized vaccines for other groups of people. Approval is a is usually a much longer process. And so this was sort of, again, the last large group of people in the U.S. that hadn't been eligible for these vaccines. And um, Pfizer and Moderna had been running trials and uh, collecting data for kids in this age group. And so it's a little bit different between the two vaccines. They weren't tested in exactly the same way on exactly the same group of kids. So you'll see, as you said, Pfizer is for kids six months to four years and Moderna is for kids six months to five years. Um, but generally what, what the data show and what everybody was mostly looking for is whether these vaccines are safe for this age group. That's the thing that everybody cares the most about. You don't want to give something to really young kids that has any indication that they could, they could get sick from it. Totally. So as you say, safety has been a real focus here. There is also information about efficacy. We'll get into that in a minute about how much we can glean from that efficacy data. And that's largely because of the size of these trials. They were not gigantic trials like we were accustomed to more broadly in phase three trials and certainly like we saw for the phase three trials for the vaccines in adults. But I think it's safe to say that the top line from these studies is that they are safe to administer to kids under the age of five. Yeah. So when when you look at, you know, all the kids that you give it to, you give you give the vaccine to a certain percentage of the group and then you give a placebo injection to the other kids. Um, and then you compare, you know, you, you compare their reactions after you give them both sets of shots. And so what they saw was, you know, for the most part, kids had some mild reactions like, you know, redness at the injection site, um, mild fevers, that kind of thing. I don't think that was unexpected. We see that in the adult population and the teen population when, when getting these mRNA shots. And they didn't see anything that was especially concerning, right? You didn't see an uptick in those adverse reactions. And so unanimously, in fact, this FDA panel, it's a panel of experts that they kind of convene first before the FDA makes an official decision, which include pediatricians looking at the data. And they all voted and unanimously, it was 21 to zero, they voted to give these shots emergency authorization based on the fact that they look safe. There was one kid, I think, in in the Moderna trial that had a seizure um, that was brought on by one of the fevers. But that was out of, you know, some thousand or so kids. And so we quote one expert in the story that said, you know, aside from that one adverse reaction, the data looks really good. And we really want to make these shots available. 
Now, one thing that has led to people doing a lot of soul searching around this particular decision is that there is this general concept that I suppose floats around that COVID isn't really a risk to children or young children. And although we know it's very true that the demographic at the greatest risk of COVID are the elderly or people that have pre-existing conditions, people that have weakened immune systems, for example, that doesn't mean that children are immune to the effects of COVID. There have been hundreds of children under the age of five that sadly have died. There have been thousands that have been put into hospital as a result of contracting COVID. And long COVID continues to exist. As ever, this decision isn't black and white. As with all the other decisions that agencies have made around vaccines, this is a cost-benefit relationship. This is a balance of risks. And that's what's ultimately led to the FDA making this decision with regard to young kids. Yeah, very true. And that's what makes just talking about all of this very hard. You know, early in the pandemic, I had a a story with a writer that talked about just how difficult it has been for public health officials and researchers to talk about the risks involved with vaccination, vaccination data. When you're talking to a single person and saying, well, this percentage of the population is protected or this percentage of the population might have an adverse reaction, you know, a lot of people understand probabilities and statistics, but it's still a very personal decision. You think, well, what if I'm the one person out of one million that's going to have a bad reaction to this? And so I think People have had, you know, been trying to be really careful about how they explain the data and present it. But I think overwhelmingly, we can say for sure that being vaccinated in this pandemic has been beneficial to all the people who have been vaccinated. It has protected so many people from dying or being in the hospital. I think we've shown that time and time again. The the thing with the kids, it's a little more difficult Uh just because um, we we know, right, that in this pandemic, older people generally are the ones who are more affected by COVID. Younger kids aren't. But there are still kids who have died, as you just mentioned. Some of them get long COVID. That happens too. It's, it's less than the rest of the population, but it's still happening. And so for some parents, they, you know, want to protect their kids. The shots appear to be safe. Um, The pediatricians are recommending for all of those reasons, the shots are safe, go get your kids vaccinated. But as we've noted, it's still a very individual decision. And I don't think anybody is assuming that parents are going to run out and get, you know, have all of their kids vaccinated right now. We know that um, when there was a vaccine available for kids 5 to 11, you know, some people went, but it was actually a pretty low percentage that actually went and got the shot. Right. And we do have some survey data about expected uptake in young kids. And we will get to that in a minute. But before we do, just finally on these trials, we've said that they've mostly focused on safety data. But I alluded earlier on that there is some efficacy data in there as well. Tell us a bit more about what that efficacy data tells us, or rather what it doesn't tell us. Because statistical power of data like this is really proportional to the number of people in the trial. And as we've mentioned, these haven't been huge trials. Yeah, so this is where this is where it gets tricky, as you said. So we, we can say for sure the shots appear safe, the pediatricians are recommending them. But if you want to know, hey, my kid is going to be completely protected from COVID and not get infected in the next few months, um, that is much harder uh, to parse. So 
In terms of these trials that were done, you know, in order to speed them up because people wanted answers and trials can take years, um, sometimes it just takes forever to even recruit the population of people that you need. And I think in the case of these trials, when we're talking about really small kids, people don't want to volunteer their kids for these trials. Also, there are a lot of kids who have already had COVID and so can't be entered into the trials because their immune systems are are already triggered. And so, you know, just to recruit enough kids to do these trials would have taken a really, really long time. So in order to speed it up, they did something called immunobridging, which is basically just looking at the antibody levels that the vaccine triggers in, in the kid and comparing it to the antibody levels, the equivalent antibody levels that you would get when you gave the the shot in previous trials to young adults um, and teens. And so if, if they were comparable, then you say it's working and it's efficacious. And if they aren't, then you say it's not. Just to set the scene, that's what we're working with here, right? It's not quite the same as the way trials were done earlier in the pandemic before we had any vaccines and before people had really been infected all over the world. So they did recruit some people for these trials, but you have to keep in mind that the numbers are much smaller than than we would think of for a phase three trial. So Moderna had more kids. They had 1,700 in the six-month to 23-month category and about 3,000 in the two- to five-year-old category. Those were the kids that actually got the shots. And then they had you know, even more kids in the, in the placebo group. Pfizer had many, many fewer. They were more in the hundreds. And so when you think about statistical power, um, it's much harder to draw conclusions from a trial with just a few hundred people. You're going to have huge error bars. And that, that is, in fact, what we see in this data. So I think for Moderna, they had in the range of 40 to 50 percent efficacy. And for Pfizer, the, the percentage efficacy was higher. So in the more like 70 to 80 percent range. But the error bars are enormous, Um, anywhere from like minus 300 to plus 100, uh, because, you know, you only tested a few hundred kids and you're talking about um, when you calculate efficacy, it's it's how many people got an infection uh, in the placebo group versus how many people got an infection in the vaccinated group. And in that case, they were looking at three people in the vaccinated group got infected and seven people got infected in the placebo group. And so when you're doing these calculations, it's necessarily going to be a huge error bar. So you can say, oh, the Pfizer looks like it's more efficacious than the Moderna, but the error bars are enormous. Do we know, you know, do we really know that it is better or has more efficacy? These shots are very hard to, you know, to compare to begin with, um, but that just makes it even more difficult. So I think what you're going to see is parents are going to be sort of scratching their heads about which of these shots do I give my child? And now that they're approved, where do I go get them, etc. So I think there are a lot of logistics after this that are going to have to be um, parsed out. Right. And that speaks to the next step in this process, which is after the FDA approved, the CDC, the US Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, then needed to approve as well. And part of that approval is to work out how to roll out these vaccines and how to communicate these data in a way that's going to make sense for people so that they're fully informed when they're making decisions about whether or not to actually accept or take their children to accept these vaccines. Yeah, for sure. So the CDC has now given its approval, right? So this whole process, we've gone through this a few times now through the pandemic, right? The first step is FDA panel makes its recommendation, then FDA issues, issues its decision on authorization, then it goes 
to this other committee of the CDC to make some decisions. Um, and then, you know, the CDC signs off on it. And so um, the CDC did sign off on this. And so distribution actually has started here as of early this week. It happened pretty much immediately. But, you know, from the reports that I'm seeing, there is some confusion, right? Um, usually when kids this young get vaccinated, they get vaccinated in a pediatrician's office. Places like pharmacies don't usually have the capabilities to vaccinate kids this young. And so I think that's where some of this coordination still needs to be happening um, and communication with parents about where to go and when to get their kids vaccinated. Right. And we should say, perhaps it's obvious, but this isn't the same process as it has been with adults. You know, these doses have been significantly lowered in both cases for children. And the regimens is also different. So Moderna is two doses separated by a month. Pfizer has recommended three doses separated by two different time periods. And so this isn't just a rinse and repeat of what's been done with adults. You know, the dosing regimens and the dosing quantities have been changed quite significantly. Yeah, yeah. So um, interestingly, with Pfizer, they started with the two doses, but they didn't see sort of those antibody levels spike to the level that they would have wanted to see after the second shot. And so they added a third. Um, and then they saw, you know, then they saw the antibody levels that they would have been looking for. And so it just gets even more complicated, right? Because parents then have to think about, okay, well, do I give my kid the one that's two shots? Do I give my kid the one that's three? You have to wait between doses. And I think we know that some people kind of get fatigued and just don't end up and go back and get the last shots. Um, It's hard enough sometimes to get kids to get vaccines to begin with. Do you really want to give them three? So there's all kinds of things that parents are just going to have to make decisions on and and work out for themselves what, you know, what their tolerance level is and do they want to like look for the the pharmacy or the clinic that they can get the Pfizer or Moderna shot, right? Both might not be available every single place that you go to. So there's lots of different challenges here. And those challenges are what's contributing towards I'm not sure I'd call it a vaccine hesitancy in the way that we often talk about vaccine hesitancy, but certainly a lack of massive enthusiasm from parents to rush off and get their kids vaccinations because they're now available immediately straight away. We have some survey data from back in May that's giving kind of a diverse picture of what parents are thinking about vaccinating their young kids right now. And that isn't just yay or nay. There also is a sizable wait and see portion. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So this is a survey from KFF, um, which used to be called Kaiser Family Foundations, a health policy organization in San Francisco, where they, you know, they surveyed parents about getting their kids vaccinated against COVID. And they actually saw that just 18% of parents with kids under five would immediately go out, um, no questions asked, and go go get their kids um, vaccinated because it was super important to them and they were confident in the safety of these vaccines. Then you see another 38% who would sort of wait and see, as you as you noted. I think just hesitant and like wanting to make sure that there aren't adverse reactions when you give it to a larger population before giving it to your kid. And then you see another 27% that just said that they would not get their kids vaccinated at all. And I think if you do the math there, there's still another 11% that said that they would only do it if, if required, mandated. 
And so it, it really isn't the majority here that are sitting around waiting for this vaccine. But, you know, if you add together the people who are going to wait and see, then then you get a bit more of a majority. I think people are just hesitant when you have kids that are that young. You're very protective of them. You want to make sure nothing bad happens to them. Not that you aren't protective of kids that are older, but, you know, I think the idea is that kids that are this young are more fragile and, you know, still developing and you want to do all the right things for them. So it's understandable that parents want to sort of be as protective as possible. That said, I would still point to, you know, these pediatricians, these experts who analyze this data and said, look, these are safe. We've seen throughout the pandemic that these shots are protective against death and hospitalization for everyone else. We really recommend that people go and get their kids vaccinated because, you know, it, it's not just a benefit for your kid. It's a benefit for the whole population. There are fewer sick days at school where kids have to be sent home and fewer daycares that have to be shut down when there are cases. So it's just a, a benefit for everybody, I think, is the recommendation. Yeah. And I think this slight hesitancy amongst parents reluctance, perhaps wariness, I'm not quite sure what word to use here, is what's leading to researchers predicting that despite this group, young children being the last group of people to gain access to the vaccines in the US, researchers aren't predicting that this decision is going to result in a huge change in transmission dynamics or a kind of turning point in the pandemic, as we did see when vaccines were made available for adults. Yeah, I think that's true. I think... So much has happened since the beginning of this pandemic and so much of the population has has been infected and is maybe on their second and th- or third infection by now. Um, you know, people just have different attitudes about it than they than they used to. At least, you know, I just want to be clear. We're talking about the U.S. Um, in, in this conversation because th- this doesn't hold true for all other countries. You know, we know there are parts of the world that have very low vaccination rates for a wide variety of reasons. But at least here, I think the attitude is, man, we just want to move on, right? <laughs> and, um, you know, there are some people who, who really are following the data and really want to get their kids vaccinated, some people who are like, wait and see, and then some people who are just, I don't see the need for doing this and giving my kid more shots. So I think we'll wait and see how it pans out. But yeah, I don't, I don't think people think that this is going to be a huge sea change for, for the sort of status of the pandemic here in the US. And yet, as ever, as much as people may get fatigued, if there's more data, if there's more evidence to investigate, if there's potentially more clarity that we can bring, that is what CoronaPod is here for. I expect, as you say, this is one that we're very much going to have to wait and see. But I'm confident that if there is more to say, we will be back here shortly talking about it again. For now, though, Lauren, thank you so much. You're quite welcome. Thanks for having me. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. 
Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.